Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. We are going to look at three chapters today. And I pray that you've read them. Again, I want to encourage you on Wednesday... I send you all that, uh, that you need for the message and encourage you to read with us. For we will not read all of the verses there, but we're going to tackle the majority of it. And obviously we're tackling today, Noah and the Ark. I like this one thing. By the way, do we have any government city employees here today? Just making sure anyone that works for a city. I love this little thing. I just shared this once before. If Noah had to build the ark today, if Noah had to build the ark today, you can imagine the Lord speaks to Noah and says, in six months I'm going to make it rain until the whole world is covered with water and all the evil things are destroyed. But I want to save a few good people and two of every living thing on the planet and I'm ordering you, Noah, to build an ark. And a flash of lightning, he delivered the specifications for the ark And Noah said, okay, trembling with fear and fumbling with the blueprints, I'm your man. Six months pass, the sky begins to cloud up, and the rains begin to fall in torrents. The Lord, not in torrents, but in torrents. Just making sure, some of you California people. The Lord looked down and saw Noah sitting in his yard, weeping, and there was no ark. Noah shouted the Lord, where is my ark? A lightning bolt crashed into the ground right beside him. Lord, please forgive me, begged Noah. I did my best, but there were some big problems. First, I had to get a building permit for the ark's construction. But your plans did not meet the code. So I had, I had to hire an engineer to redo the plans, only get into a long argument with him about whether to include a sprinkler system. My neighbors objected, claiming that I was violating zoning ordinances by building my ark in my front yard, so I had to get a variance from the city planning board. Then I had a big problem getting enough wood for the ark, because there was a ban on cutting trees to save the spotted isle. I tried to convince the environmentalists and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that I needed the wood to save the owls, but they wouldn't let me catch them, so no owls. Next, I started gathering up the animals, but got sued by the animal rights activist group that objected to me only taking two of each animal. And just when the suit got dismissed, the EPA notified me that I couldn't complete the ark without filling out an environmental impact statement on your proposed flood. They did not take kindly to the idea that they had no jurisdiction over the supreme being. Then the Corps of Engineers wanted a map of the proposed flood plan, and I sent them a globe. (laughs) Right now, I'm having a hard time reading this. And right now I'm trying to resolve a complaint with the Equal Opportunities Commission over how many minorities I'm supposed to hire. The IRS has seized all of my assets, claiming that I'm trying to leave the country. And I just got a notice from the state that I owe some kind of use tax. Really, I don't think I can finish the ark in less than five years. With that, the sky cleared, the sun began to shine, and a rainbow arced across the sky. Noah looked up and smiled. You mean you're not going to destroy the world, he asked hopefully. 
No, said the Lord, the government already has. <laughs> so with that, let's go on. In Genesis, we find that God is displaying his character through the world that he's created and in his relationship and his interaction with humankind, with man. We're now in the years following the fall. We're several thousand years now as we go on. And we see that the Lord's patience is wearing thin as the population grows, as they're fulfilling the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. But sin, as we saw from last week, takes deep droot into the sons and daughters of Adam. It is here we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 6, and let's go ahead and with you would read silently as I read out loud of verse 1 of chapter 6. When man began to multiply, Moses writes, on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Then the philium were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every attention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said in verse 7, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Father, I come before you, and this is a very familiar, if not sometimes controversial, portion of Scripture. But it's here for a reason. And Father, we want to recognize that your word is true. And Lord, so we want to accept the story as written. So I pray now that you would just open up our hearts. May your spirit have free reign. May you begin the work to help us to discern what your truths are here this morning. Be with me in the study. Lord, fill up what's lacking in any of my abilities or skills or even in the studying, Lord, that that you may be glorified and, Lord, that we may learn from you, not so much as an informational uh, transfer, but transformation. Lord, as we recognize and see who you are and how we're to respond to your display of character. And, Lord, now begin doing the hard work in the soils of our heart. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. As I said, this can be a very a controversial portion of Scripture. There are many who will say that the flood did not exist, as we know that this is where this is leading. Of course, it's interesting that every major cultural uh, culture and world society has some type of flood myth, and we'll use the term myth as that's what they'll say. And probably the most famous of them is Gilgamesh. I don't know if you've ever heard of Gilgamesh, the epic at Gilgamesh, one of the most famous ones. But there is a lot of evidence, whether we just talk about historical record or in the culture, of some type of catastrophe that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. I am not a scientist nor a geologist, so I am not here today to try to convince you that the flood happened. I will tell you that I'm a pastor of God's Word. 
I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible is God's word, so I'm going to assume that it is as it is, and we'll take it as it is. I believe the Bible is written in this way, as a narrative, literal history, sharing with us what happened. So I am not going to spend any time trying to convince you that the flood happened. I am going to suppose that it did because God said so. If you're here this morning and you would like more evidence to determine whether it was true, I would love to meet with you at a different time to explore those types of things. But as we as Christians, let's handle the Word of God in the way that He gave us. Now, there's also some things here in the first three verses that we could probably spend months on in trying to determine who are the daughters of men and who are or who's the daughters of God and, or daughters of men and the sons of God. Again, I would love to debate those with you. There are many different types of theories and, and, and solutions to that. But again, that's not what Moses is really concentrating. So I would share with you, if you'd like to talk about that, I'm sure that the men on, Monday, on Thursday night are probably going to tackle this, other than to say that something was going on that was not pleasing to God. And we'll explore maybe a little bit of that. But So I want to share with you again, Genesis does not answer everything that we may have and maybe we want to talk about, correct? That can lead to some frustration, but again, we need to make sure that we continue on what God is trying to share with us here. So today I will not answer to you who the Nephilim were. I'm not going to tell you who the sons of God were or the daughters of men or all the different types of things that, were, that, uh, that are in. If you want those answers, you can Wikipedia it. I'm sure you can find some good ones there. Or you can go to Theopedia, because anything that the world does, the church tries to do a little bit less. Uh, that's what comes on. So, those are those, so, so some of you get it, but the rest, that's all right. But what we want to do is what I really want to see here is that we see that the world is very, very wicked. Hence what we're finding what Scripture is saying. And again, what Moses is trying to share with us is who God is. And that's more important to you and I than whether or not we're talking about fallen demons or men of, uh, men of Cain and and women of, of Adam's lane, and all those types of things. And so what I want to share with you is four ways that I believe in these first eight verses that we see the God's character displayed. And I think this is important for us to get. So if you'd stay with me here, the first one we're going to see is in the first five verses. We're going to see that God displays His holiness as He notices sin. As you can see, we see when man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters, the sons of God they took. And Jesus said, or the Lord said in verse 3, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. In verse 5, we see the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, God displays his holiness as he notices Sin is growing more wicked and more perverse as time goes on. The wickedness is great. The heart is evil, as Jeremiah tells us, as sin has an iron grip and it chokes generation after generation. Is it no surprising that we could turn on the news last night and you can see the hate and the racism and, and all the things that are going on and we see that sin has an iron grip on our world today. But even back then, thousands of years ago, corruption bears violence. God's nature, as we know, cannot abide with sin. 
And not only that, but we see the pattern of sin that we saw with Eve in the garden repeat itself. Look again in verse 2. And it says, daughters, in verse 1, were born to them, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took for them as their wives. We see the same pattern in the garden. She saw it was good, and she took to eat. Remember, we spent some time two weeks ago talking about the pattern of sin. Here it is on big display very quickly here in Genesis chapter 6. The men of God saw they were good, and they took. And what we see here is Satan's attempt to pollute the genealogy of man and prevent the seed from chapter 3, verse 15. And you remember, as we go through this series, remember that we're now in the fall, but we see that there was a creation. And then the fall. In the fall, what do we find? What's the next step in this story? Anybody remember? Redemption. God's promise of redemption. So as we're reading this, remember that we are in the fall looking for the redemption. You and I are where today? You and I, when we, read, when we look at Scripture, we are where? We are in the redemption looking forward to okay, the rapture, the consummation, the new creation. So it's very important for us when we read Scripture to know where we are at in the story. So in this story, we are in the fall looking forward to the redemption. And Satan himself knows that there is going to be a chosen seed that will come from the man and from the woman that will defeat him. Correct? Amen? And what we see here is what's going on. Whether or not these are fallen demons, whether these are just regular people, whatever is going, there is something going on that Satan is trying to use some type of agenda to pollute the genealogy and to prevent that from happening. Again, that's what Satan always does. He tries to prevent or to sidetrack God's plan, but every time he fails, does he not? For he is nothing but a failure. So we see that God displays his holiness as he notices sin. And you and I need to realize that. I think there's an important side note here. Is that the Lord does notice sin. You think many times that you're escaping his eyes. And many times we may question, as many people are questioning this morning, where is justice? Where is right and wrong? Why does it always seem like the wicked get away? And even you and I can cry that as we see things just turn topsy-turvy. And it does seem like evil does win the day. And that wickedness rules. But let me assure you, just as Dustin read a portion of Scripture, is that he does notice sin. Amen? He sees sin. We cannot get away from God's eyes. And so you may be here today and you may be proud of yourself and you may say, look at me. Look at the life I'm living. Look at the choices I'm making. I'm still standing. Let me tell you, you're not escaping the eyes of God's holiness. And as we go to the next one, we'll see that God does judge the wicked. For number two, we see God's response to man's sinfulness is that he displays his wrath as he grieves over sin in verse 6. For he says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him 
to his heart. John MacArthur writes that sin sorrowed God who is holy and without blemish. The word grieve, many times we, 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 we think, how in the world does God grieve? But it just means indignant rage. You can almost say that it's, it's the type of rage that is justified. It, it, it expresses an intense form of emotion. And in it we see a God who has emotions now today in this world. We think about God as being only a God of love, right? And He's a God of forgiveness. And that's true. But you and I must recognize also that not only is God a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness, but He's also a just God. He is a God of wrath. He is a God who notices sin and one day will bring all things into account. Does not Scripture say? And this does not bring any pleasure to God, though His wrath and His judgment does bring Him glory. The third way we see God's judge or see God's uh, response to man's sinfulness is God displays His judgment in verse seven as He condemns man. For He goes on, so the Lord says, "Because I've regretted, it grieves me to the heart." I can no longer abide by this. He says, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of land. Not only man, but also animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. God displays his judgment as he condemns man. And you and I need to recognize that's what the law does. And when we speak of the law, we speak of not only the Ten Commandments, but all the commandments found in Scripture in the Old Testament. The laws, the things that we must do to approach God. But what we find in the New Testament, the law does nothing but binds us to something else. In the end, we're condemned by the law, as Roman tells us, that even those that don't have the law, maybe in a stone or a paper, they have it where? Written on their hearts. So if anything, you and I need to recognize that God's judgment, as He condemns, we need to recognize that that law is there. But what I love is the fourth display. Because anytime God displays His judgment and His wrath, He also displays His grace as He grants it to Noah in verse 8. I love this verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What a great verse. Now also, what a sad verse. I could imagine what the world looked like in the fact that there would be only one man out of all the population. Now, again, I don't know how many there were. There were probably thousands, ten thousands, if not hundred thousands of people. They lived multiple years as we saw previously. And as we look, we need to say, Boy, it must have been a big population, but yet as he looks on, there is nothing but evil, but one man does God find favor. So I have to ask the question, how did Noah find favor? Why does God spare Noah above anyone else? Was there not someone else just as worthy as Noah? Well, Scripture doesn't leave us silent on there because Moses tells us about Noah. It tells us that Noah was a righteous man, a blameless man, and one who walked with God. 
So, but I have to ask, well, what does that mean? Doesn't the Bible say there's none righteous, no, not one? How do I, you know, put those contradictions to, to, together? Well, when the Bible tells us that Noah was righteous, it did not mean that he was someone who did no wrong and that he was a perfect man. In other words, what he's telling us is Noah, like Enoch, was one who conformed to the standard set by God. Now, we don't know exactly what that standard was. Some of that has been lost. God is not uh, designed to reveal to us what he expected of Adam and Eve and Seth and so on and so forth, other than the fact that there was some type of standard and Noah, other than all of those of his generation, conformed to whatever set of standards that was by God. And God looks at that and gave him favor. He was also blameless in the fact that not that he was totally innocent of all things, but that he was complete. That's what the word means. It means complete, especially in comparison to others. In other words, he was someone of good reputation, similar to what the pastors are to be and those that are deacons. They're to be a people that are blameless or of good reputation. And also in the fact that he walked with God, just like his great-great-great-great-granddaddy. He had a daily step by step relationship with God. And just as Emily sung, as I said earlier, he'd rather have Jesus than anything. I don't know what his walk looked like. It was probably similar to yours and I's, probably imperfect. But yet there was something about Noah that God says, I'm going to choose to give my grace and favor to him. Not because he deserved it. He might have been righteous and blameless and walked with God, but yet even in that case, it wasn't as he was someone who could be like God, but he was one that God found favor. But the encouragement for you and I is that we too can be like that. You and I too can have favor with God. Isaiah 55, the prophet commands us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I think that's the type of man that Noah was. Realizing that there was nothing about him that was greater than any other person on the earth. I'm sure he struggled with the same temptations. He struggled with the same thoughts. I'm sure he fought with his wife, fought with his children. Maybe there were struggles with him and his neighbors, but yet he sought after the Lord. Let me ask you today. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are with God today, but would you seek after him? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The Bible tells us that if you call upon him, he will hear you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Do you believe that? Let's encourage others to hear that. This is the type of man that Noah was. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. Now as we look at God's response to man, we see that God displays his holiness, his wrath, his judgment, and his grace. Now as we go on through chapter 6, and to chapter 8, we're going to see those themes, those themes complete, uh, continually repeat. We see God's judgment, we see God's wrath, we see God's favor. We see it over and over and over as we go on. 
But what I want like to do is continue in Genesis chapter six, because I want to share with you another some several things here as we go on. And the first thing you're going to see is God looks at the wickedness of man. God makes a decision that's going to change the world forever. We see it in verse eleven. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy the earth. Talk about a slash the earth or or burn the earth type uh, uh, solution. I would think, could God just choose a different route? You know, that just seems like the final solution. Talk about burning all your bridges. But God makes a decision. All living things will die. That's his decision. But yet we know it's a good and wise decision. But with any decision God makes, we also see that God also decides to save some. In chapter or verse 14, we're going to see God's instructions of how he's going to save. And I always like that about God. He doesn't leave it up to us to figure out how he's going to save. As he tells him judgment is coming, this is how you're going to save yourself, he gives him some instructions how that's to happen. For he says in verse 14, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 50, uh, 30 cubits. Excuse me. He tells him in verse 16 to make a roof of the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side and make it with lower, second, and third decks. Very simply, the ark was about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 40 feet high. If you look at your bulletin on the back side, you'll see that I gave you a little bit kind of, a, of a, an expression, how that might have looked compared to some other famous uh, sailing ships. It was three stories high, with each story being about 15 feet high. It had about 1.4 million cubic feet. Just For me, that's kind of hard to understand. I just don't understand those types of terms. For those of you who live by railroad tracks or ever been stopped by a railroad track, could you imagine a train with 522 railroad boxcars? That's about how much space was in the ark. 522 standard railroad boxcars. For many people who say, how in the world did he get all those animals in there? He couldn't have had enough room. Well, how many could you get in 522 boxcars today? And that'd take forever. Just You know what would happen? What's half of 522? Because at half of 522, it would stop and start to back up. You ever have that happen to you, by the way, waiting at a railroad track? Has that ever happened to any of you? It's like that's what it, it's like. It's automatic. That's what it's going to do for me. It's or it's going to get half or more than halfway through and then back up. But we're talking that the ark was very, very large, and so you can imagine this is a place. As far as we know, there was no rain. He didn't build it in a river. He starts to build it wherever it was. Now I don't know if it was his front yard. I'm sure that he had a little bit bigger yard than most of us. But he begins to build this ark, and it's very, very large. And imagine, again, this is built without any modern tools or equipment. It probably took them 120 years to build. But God gives them some instructions. Just as God made the decision that one day He will destroy this world, 
We read that earlier. It will melt away. God has also decided that He will save some, and He gave instructions. For you and I, it's not so much an ark, but it is to trust in the gospel. And again, to be saved, to be safe from God's judgment, you and I must be under His his protection. The third thing we're going to see is in verse 17. It's God's judgment and mercy once again is on display. For behold, he says, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is in the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come to the ark, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. So you see judgment and you see mercy right after each other. And of every living thing, in verse 19, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping things of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep, uh, into you to keep them alive. In verse 21, he says, And also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. So we see God's instructions in which he's going to show judgment and also show mercy. What an endeavor that must have been to build all that and then to collect the animals. And obviously, we believe God supernaturally put this together. But what an endeavor that might have been. What a sight that must have been in his area where he lived. As not only as this thing begins to build itself as whomever is building it, but also these animals just coming two by two, and all of us have the depictions in our head of how that might have been. I don't know how it looked, but in some way God brought those animals and all the things that he needed and all the food that he needed to save the mercy, save through the mercy of God. Now I find again interesting as we see the themes repeating once again. God's judgment, God's mercy. But I love in verse 22 because we see how Noah responds to God's display of his character. In verse 22, what was Noah's response? Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. What a great verse. And isn't that what you and I are called to do today? As Christians, he says, if you love me, you what? Keep my commandments. And for you and I, God has called us to obey all of his commandments, to do what he's called us to do. Now we read in this verse and in chapter 7, 8, that Noah's responds to God's display of character by trusting and obeying God. And as we've seen through Genesis, that's what God calls us to do. As He reveals to us who He is, you and I are called to respond by trusting and obeying. Now imagine, put yourself and Noah's in this thing, in this response. Build this gigantic ark. Bring in all of these animals, for I'm going to destroy the earth. You and I think, what in the world is God telling me to do? You and I may ask the same questions when God tells us to love our neighbors, when He tells us to share the gospel, when He tells us to love our wives or submit to our husbands, when He tells us to forgive. Lord, you don't understand. You're asking too much. Yet God has called us 
to trust and obey, has he not? I love that old, you know, one of these days, Jeff, maybe we can do that old hymn, trust and obey for there's no other way but to trust and deny. I forgot how it goes. See, we need to do it. Jesus, but to trust and obey. Noah responded to God's display of his character by trusting and obeying God's command and building the ark. He went ahead and did what God, even though he could not see the future, even though he could not see the result, he trusted and built the ark. He trusted by gathering the animals and all the provisions. He trusted by going into the ark when God says, now go into the ark in chapter 7. And also in chapter 7, as we see and in chapter 8, he's waiting in the ark. For over 150 days, it tells us that he was 600 years when he went into it, and when he came out on a dry land, he was 601. A whole year of his life, plus the 120 years before. He trusted and obeyed. And let me tell you, this obedience cost Noah immensely. He lost all that he knew, his world, his friends, his other family, and so on and so forth. He lost it all. When he came out of the ark, it was a total different world. I wonder if he truly recognized it. And it probably wasn't until he stepped out there that all of a sudden he realized, where is the rest of my family? He saves only his children and their wives as well as his own wife. Eight souls. What about his mother and father? What about his cousins? What about other people in his life? He lost it all. Though a man of good reputation, those 120 years of building an ark must have brought much ridicule and isolation from those around him. We are not told, but I would even imagine even his family questioned his attentions and maybe even his sanity. But in the end, Noah obeyed. And here's, I don't know if your mind is starting to wander, but please listen as I go on here. This is so important. In the end, Noah obeyed. And that's what faith is. One of the deacons that I served with years ago gave me a definition of faith. Many of you have heard this from me. From some of you, it may be new, so you may want to write it down. Because you think it's a definition of faith that you need to grasp. He said, faith is bold obedience to God's Word. It's bold obedience to God's Word in defense defiance of circumstances and consequences. In other words, if God tells me to do this, I don't care what the circumstances or what the consequences are, I'm going to obey God. If God tells me to love my wife, then I will. If He tells me to forgive, even if it means that I have to give away my rights and give away my liberty, I will do that. If He tells me to to witness and share the gospel, even though it may cost me some some ridicule, and it may cost me a job, I'm going to do so. Why? Because faith is bold obedience to God's Word in defiance of the circumstances and consequences. And that's where some of you are here today. God is saying, stop living the way you're living. Trust me, obey me. And you say, yeah, I got faith. Faith is obeying God's Word, even when it's tough even when it's not popular, even when it will cost you something. Let me tell you, following Christ will cost you something. And if it hasn't, then I would probably check and see if you're truly following Christ and the way Scripture has called you to. 
You see, that's the definition of faith that correctly describes Noah. The writer of Hebrews declares this about faith in chapter 11. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Please who? God. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. And in the next verse, he commends Noah when he writes, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What is it? By faith, by bold obedience to God's word, in defiance of circumstances and consequences, God Uh, Noah, being warned by God, did it. So how about you? Can you approach God in faith? Genesis at chapter 8, look at that with me if you would. Verse 1 captures one of the greatest phrases ever written. And let me tell you, Don, this is what I want on my tombstone. But God remembered but God remembered when they put me in that ground when I breathe my last breath I want God to remember me as one of his own amen he remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark And I think there's many times that you and I as Christians, we wonder, does God remember us here? We're fighting abortion, we're fighting uh, gay marriage, we're fighting injustice, we're fighting wickedness. It seems like everything is going against us. Where are you, Lord? Underline this. But God remembers. Again, God's grace and mercy are on display as he protected, provided, and delivered all those in the ark. And Noah responds to this display the same way that you and I are to do. In chapter 8, look at verse 14. How does Noah respond? By worshiping God. In chapter 8, verse 14, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons, your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. God says it's going to be made new. Verse 18, So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird and everything that moves on the earth went out by the families from the ark. Then, look at verse 20. Here's where we're going. Noah's response. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remained seed time and harvest, 
cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. You and I are called to worship the one who provides, who protects, and who delivers. Now, if you're here today and you have Christ in your heart, you've been provided for, you've been protected, and you will be delivered. The call is to worship. I'd like to give you some words, some encouragement of exhortation and challenge. And with that, I'd like to take your Bibles very quickly, if you would, and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, where we see that, Mo, that Peter uses this illustration to share with us some words of encouragement. What can you and I take from Moses, or excuse me, from Mo, well, from Moses' account of Noah? Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. The first thing you and I need to see is that we need to compete against others whose every intention of the heart is evilly, evil continually. In 2 Peter chapter 2, you look at verse 3, verse 1. Peter writes that false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. You and I need to understand that just in the days of Noah, just in the days when Peter wrote, he says, you must be sober. You must be understanding that there will be people that will come in with different philosophies, with a different gospel. And you and I need to realize is that there we need to compete against other philosophies and other religions and other ways of sharing the gospel. We need to understand that's what the world is. It says that they have itching ears. There are many churches today who may even take the Bible. They may even open it up and use a verse. But then they'll take it and they'll use it for their own means. And so 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we find that we're called to share the gospel, even if we live in a wicked and even culture. For 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, God calls Noah a herald of righteousness. What did he do as he built the ark? He also shared the gospel. Maybe not the gospel you and I are preaching, but he shared judgment is coming. Turn towards God. But though Noah was a herald of righteousness, he didn't have many converts. But let me share with you, even though he didn't have many converts, he was able to save his family. And this ought to be an encouragement, but also a challenge to all of us. In your family, who knows Christ? Have they heard the story that judgment is coming? Do they understand that they need to be prepared? Do they need to understand that God notices their sin and His wrath abides on them? The last word of encouragement is that God has promised to protect us. Look at 2 Peter Chapter 2, we're going to look back at verse 4 and go on. For Peter continues to write, For God, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but He cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. So he's speaking of an event. In verse 5, he goes on, 
say, if he did not spare the ancient world, speaking of Noah's time, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If, verse 6, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the consensual conduct of the wicked. I wonder sometimes if you and I, sometimes we're very heavy on and hard on, on Lot. But at least he was a righteous man, it says here, who was distressed by the sensual conduct of the world. I wonder if that describes you and I or if we're okay with it. I'm all right with it. doesn't bother me. But look at verse 8. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over this lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Verse 9 is where I want to go. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. In other words, you and I do not have to worry about evil and wickedness having their day. It should bother us, it should distress us, but we ought to trust that God will protect us for He's promised to do so. For He can hold us to that. How does this propel the main story? How is Genesis relevant today? Very simply, because in Matthew chapter 24, He points to it, to another day of judgment. See, God's wrath and judgment will once one day be poured out upon humanity. He says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows when Christ will come. For as the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days before the flood, they'll be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, verse 42, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. What relevance does this have for you and I today? We're to be ready. We're to be prepared. We're to be building an ark. Who are you bringing to safety? Are you ready for that time? Though we may be saved, the world is under the judgment and wrath of God. Yet His mercy is out there. Would you grab it? Would you seek after Him? Would you forsake your wickedness? Would you seek after Him? I call you to that today. Father, I pray that you just bless us this morning. Help us take root in our heart, deep root. For those, Lord, who do not know you, I pray that they would seek you today. Take their heart out and put a new heart in there. Give them a desire for you. For those of us that you have called, to those of us that you have given that new heart, help us to realize that we're to live soberly and righteously in this present world, looking for that day. Judgment is coming. Let us build an ark, and by calling others, join us. Would you be saved? Strengthen us for that battle. And Lord, may we be distressed, and not so much stressed, but Lord, would we be moved by the wickedness around us, that we may be a herald of righteousness. We pray for this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.